You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Now, I know for some of you, that's a pretty stark contrast. <laughs> um, it's planned. Uh, we are entering back into a season in Ephesians. Uh, we've been working on this for a couple of years now, and we are uh, hitting into a section of the scripture that opens up in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, with basically saying that we need to be walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so we uh, started this off, this section off, a, a few months ago, a couple months ago, when Luke preached on the first seven verses. And we're going to pick it right back up from there in verse 7 of Ephesians 4. If you would turn in your Bibles to get there as I get ready to talk with you about it. And um, I wanted it to be a stark contrast in what we're doing in worship and our singing to the Lord to then hear something that for some of you means nothing, for others of you brings back memories of the 80s. And uh, for some of you, you're going to go look it up and wish you hadn't, and that's okay. <laughs> We're in a moment today where many people across our country and all over the world are celebrating the independence of a nation that has stood the test of time and has done much to better the world. And we are in a country and we celebrate the independence of this nation uh, in a day where many are worried about the future of the country. And there are many who are not only worried about the future of the country, but as we've looked along the lines of the church, we see in every denomination, in every piece of the puzzle in churches across the land, we see a drastic, sharp drop-off of people going and being a part of a church, going to church gatherings. We see it in our denomination where most of the churches, a large, vast number of the churches are plateaued and or declining, and the number of declining increases every year. And we see a lot of folks after COVID, which I know some would argue whether it's over or not. I'm not here to argue that point, but to say that as, after we started gathering again after the pandemic started, we have entered into a time where most churches do not see the same people or the same numbers of people that they gathered in. And as I gathered with some of our Southern Baptist Convention brothers and sisters in Nashville just a couple of weeks ago and talked to a lot of different people and heard a lot of different stories, it's also not uncommon in these days to have moments within the church where there are rifts and there are tearings and there are hurts and there are pains and there are people that have left the church for various reasons. And we're in a moment where we wonder what's going to happen to not only our country, but what's going to happen to our faith family. And we've been talking about it, and we've been praying about it, we've been talking about it some more, and we've talked about it in small gatherings, we've talked about it in large gatherings, we've prayed about it in small and large gatherings, and we will continue to do that. But I'm here to tell you today that the Word of God makes it clear to us that if it is God's church, He will not be done with His church. In fact, I would say it like this, God will grow this church. Now, there are some stipulations to that about how that looks for us and about how we are to interact with God in that plan because he does, somehow or another, this sovereign God does interact with us to be a part of that working in the church to see it grow and become the church it's meant to be. But do not ever think that anyone but God will grow this church. He is the only one who will do that. 
I mean that church universal and our local body of Christ. Look with me, if you would, in chapter 4. I'm going to walk through the first six verses, then we'll jump into our text today, verse 7. It's been a while since we hit the first few, so let me just start there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, then we'll pick up our part in verse 7 through 16. I will pray for us, and then we will unpack it for who we are and where we're headed as a faith family. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he goes into this excursus about unity. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a, a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pray with me. Father, we are a people who are sinners. Like Isaiah said, we are a people of unclean lips in the midst of a generation and a nation of unclean lips. And Father, we are people that have hurts, who know suffering, who know pain, who know disappointment and loneliness. But because of your Son, Jesus, we are a people who know hope. We know hope because your Son has overcome everything that we cannot overcome. That in His death on the cross, in our place, He endured the wrath, your wrath, that we deserve, Father. And He did that because He loves us. And you sent Him because you love us. And today we yearn to know how we can love you in a way that gives you honor and glory for you alone deserve it. So I pray, Father, that you would help us. You would lead us to a place where we can be face-to-face -face with you and that we can enjoy your presence and we can walk in your way. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Go back to verse 7. We're going to unpack this as we walk through it. Say it again. God will grow this faith family. He will do it. Because He will do whatever is necessary to purify His church, to change His church, to lead His church. And even if we sometimes might individually or corporately act as though we are kicking and screaming along the way, if you are in Christ, He loves you too much to leave you where you are. And He has given His Son, whose blood is worth more than we can ever estimate or imagine. And so He will not leave us to our own selves. He will carry us to the end for which He has created us. That is for His glory and even for our joy. He will do it. And I want you to know that we see here, the very beginning of this passage in chapter 4, verse 7, that God has given us every gift we need to see that this church grows. Look at verse 7 with me. He says this, But grace was given to each one of us, not according to what we deserve. Thank you, Lord. According to the measure of of Christ's gift. His gift was Himself. His gift was His body on display on the cross in our place where He stood condemned. His gift was His blood poured out for us so that we might be redeemed, so that our sins might be washed away from us as far as the east is from the west. His gift is sufficient. His gift is overwhelmingly good and always flowing towards us in mercy and grace. And He has given us this gift because He has given us Jesus. And this is the first of the gifts and the utmost of His gifts, the ultimate of the gifts that we need. In fact, if He is what we have, then we have all we need. One of our churches had that on their sign this week. I stole it right from them. It is It is true. Look what it says in verse 8. Therefore it says, quoting a psalm, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In other words, when he ascended after his death, burial, and resurrection, that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He took the captives, those captive to sin, captive to death, captive to Sheol, as the Old Testament talks about it. He took those captives captive and took them home those who had already gone on before, right? And that he did so by also giving gifts to men. You, me. All those who were in Christ, who were baptized believers, born again, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, he has given you gifts. Every one of us. There's not one of us that don't have gifts. He has given us the gift primarily of Jesus. Keep going. Verse Nine In saying he ascended, here's Paul interpreting this for us out of this psalm. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. Now some think that means he descended into hell. We don't see that scripturally necessarily. There are, there are arguments for that. But what I think we see as you look across the breadth of scripture, that this is talking more about the incarnation. This is about Jesus coming. He had to ascend from a place where He had descended and become one of us. 
into the lower regions, into the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. It resonates, it echoes Paul's words in Colossians in chapter 1 when he talks about how all things are made by him, for him, through him, to him. He will fill all things. And then it talks about these gifts. Go back and just look at it and see in verse 7, and then we'll kind of skip the parenthetical statement that gives the theological reasoning for making this statement. We'll just go from 7 to 11 and see the gifts. Because not only has He given us Jesus, who's done these things for us, but He's also given us the gift of leadership to equip us as the church. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it talks about how He has done those things. And then it says, verse 11, and he gave, there it is that word again, the gave, the, gave, the giving of gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. The apostles were those who were in the presence of Jesus, who spent time with him on the earth before he ascended. I know there's confusion about that across the land. There's other definitions for apostles, but biblically speaking, that's what the word apostle means, those who are in Jesus' presence who were sent out by him, particularly by him. Then the prophets, those who speak the truth of God. The evangelists, those who take the gospel to places where it has not yet been, whether it be just to the nether regions of the world like one of our own does across the world right now that we pray for weekly, or whether it be we who go to the nether regions of Etowah County. I won't name where those regions are. You might be offended. I'll probably name all of our areas. Because there are people around us that do not know Jesus and have never heard even the real truth about Jesus, even though they've grown up in this place. And they're everywhere. He's given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And you may think, that's not me. I will say that even if you think you're not an evangelist, we see Paul in 1 Timothy telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. That means he was not an evangelist, but he's supposed to do the work of an evangelist. All of us are called to make disciples. That means we're all called to be that. You may not be one of the leaders in this faith family doing that right now, but we should aspire to it. The shepherds and the teachers. He's basically saying that we are gifts. Now, you can look at that as a leader in this church and think, wow, look at that. You guys have gotten a gift in me, right? You can think that about yourself if you're a leader. You can say, I got look at this. We're gifts to everybody. That's who we are. But if you think that way about it, you're missing the point. Look at it again, and we'll go on, verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The gift is that he has given us folks who have made it a point to equip others. And all of us are meant to do that. That's what making disciples is. But there are some who do that in vocational ministry or who do that under the mantle of leadership in our churches as requested by the body as we see God working in individuals and we then call them out to leadership and we lay hands on them and pray on them like we see in Scripture, setting them aside for the work of the ministry, whether it be vocationally, getting paid for it, or as lay leaders, those who do not get paid. No difference in value, just difference in titles sometimes. But God loves us so much that He not only gave us His Son, 
But he sent his Holy Spirit to live within each of us to give us giftings, and he's gifted some of us to be leaders in such a way that we equip others to do the work of the ministry. And you may think, well, that's great. What about my gifting? Look at it, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, these are coordinate phrases. That means that they all act under one another. So when you see these, this list here, it's because they all are dependent upon the one before it. And they kind of mushroom out as they go. Look at it again, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So to equip the saints to do what? For the work of the ministry. He's given us ministry, the gift of ministry, to build up the body to full maturity. You may not think of work as a gift, but often if we are seeing things in the way we should, every bit of our work, whether it be working for the city, working for a company, working for the church, is a gift of the Lord. For you and your family, for an opportunity for us to give the gospel in those places, it is a gift. And it's a part of the gift that God has given you and me and us as the church to be able to see this place, this faith family, not the location, but the people, become the church He's always intended for us to be, and He will grow this church. God will not waste His gifts on His people that He bought with the precious blood of His Son, Jesus. I promise you that. He will grow you, and He will grow us as a faith family. Notice that the language used here is even in the plural. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. That's everybody who's ever put their hope and faith in Jesus. You may not think you're much of a saint because you know your sin. That's why the Latin phrase I love so much, simul justice et peccator, means at the same time justified or a saint and a peccator, a sinner. That's who we are. But he's talking about you when he says, for the building up of the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He has given us the gift of ministry to build up the body. That means every single one of us is a part of the process. This is not a spectator sport or a spectator venue. All of us are called to the work of ministry. And God has put people in our lives, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, disciple makers, to be able to help us Grow in that ability and grow in that desire to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It is a team effort, and the team even is a gift of the Lord. And now we see as we step into the next section of the passage, I think it's appropriate to state that you may be wondering, well, when do we do whatever we do? How do we do these things? And I'm here to tell you that according to the Scriptures, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. I'm using scriptural language you're going to see in a minute. I'm not talking derogatorily towards you or even myself. I'm saying the scriptures say now is the time for us to grow up. For us to grow up and to step up. Now, some of you have been doing this for years. Decades even. Some of you have been doing it off and on. And some of you have recently stepped up to this great gift that God has called us to. 
I must say that I have been encouraged in ways that have brought much joy to a heart that had been laden with sadness as I've seen people step up to serve in areas where there is great need. It has been very encouraging to my own heart. I've heard that encouragement come out of the mouths of others. Let me say as a brother in Christ, thank you. We thank those who have made this country a place where we can serve freely, and that is good. On a day like today, we remember that. But I thank you today because of how you're stepping up and serving this faith family and serving our Lord, which has inspired and encouraged me as your brother. Thank you. It's time that we own the responsibility of our own maturation and the building up of the body of Christ. Look back and read these words again. Verse 11, we'll go all the way through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, listen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, this is telling us that we must become unified in the faith if we are going to live out what God has called us to do and be. We must become unified in the faith and unified in the knowledge of the Son of God who is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So unified in the faith. That word, the faith. We see the in front of it oftentimes in the New Testament. What that's referring to is not your personal faith. It's talking about the faith we all hold to which is the gospel. The fact that God loved us so much that even while we were sinners, adversarial against Him, enemies of Him, He sent His only Son to live a perfect life when we had failed to do so and then die the death that we deserve so that we could be brought into the family of God through His powerful resurrection, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell in our place on the cross. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And we must be unified around this front. That means that the, 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 the short version I just gave you is, is the simple version. But the gospel is this message put together all at once. Every piece of it we must be unified around. Now, there are levels to which we can understand things. Some things are very clear on those things. Those essential things we must be drastically unified on. And there are other things that are tertiary, that are secondary and third place things that are not as important for us to be unified around. But on the essentials, the things that make us Christians, what you might know historically as the orthodox faith, we must be unified around these things. So if the Bible says it, we must say yes and amen. Amen? Amen. This is who we are if we are in Christ. This is God's Word to us. And it's not really about us, but it's to us. It talks about us some, but it's about God. And it's about who He is, what He's done, what He's promised to do. And we are unified around this truth. Whatever it says, we have to submit. Because we have been bought by King Jesus with His own blood. And we are His. John 17 Verse 20 through 21, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before He goes to the cross. And He says to the Father, after praying for the disciples there with Him, He says, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, this church will only grow when we are so unified around the Word of God and around the truth of God's Word, unapologetically, but in love, when we are so unified, we know then that the world will believe that God sent Jesus. That's big. We have been heartbroken over disunity. I'm here to tell you that every morning His mercies are new. Every day there is hope because hope never dies because Jesus has risen and defeated death and He is ever living. And He is advocating for us right now at the right hand of the Father. And He is not done with you or me or this church. And He will work in us because He loves us too much to let us go. Ephesians 2, 19, earlier in this word, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This thing, this Bible, this word, we're built on this foundation. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's the crux of everything for us. In whom, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together, the church being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look, we can't just be unified. We have to be unified around the one true faith declared to us in the one true Word of God and in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. We must be growing in our relationship with Jesus and in our knowledge about Jesus. We must be striving to know Him and walk with Him, be face-to-face with Him, to be changed by Him. And when that is happening, we will be unified. And when we are unified, the world will believe what we tell them, that Jesus has been sent by God to save them. That is the way He will build the church. So today, if you're sitting here now thinking you're not sure if you want to be unified around those things, today is a day of repentance. We must, we must daily submit to the truth that we have pieces within us that yearn to pull away from this Word. We have pieces in us that will get in between relationships and we cannot allow for it because Jesus thought it was important enough to bring us into His family, and to hold us close, that He was willing to sacrifice Himself for that. So therefore, we must see that it's worth sacrificing whatever walls we put up, whatever things we're holding out to keep that from happening. It's time to lay them down on the altar of the Lord and say, these are no longer going to stand in the way of my relationship with you or this faith family. It's time that we are all 100% in. That is the only way we will see this faith family become what God has always intended it to be. This gospel of Jesus is our standard. We must know it 
through and through. We must delve into it, be face-to-face with him, be changed by it. We do that in the context of community with others in our small groups, which happens after this time, so that we can be pressed on by brothers and sisters who love us, who say, you know what, brother? I saw that you were acting this way in your family the other day. I don't think that's becoming of Christ, and I love you too much not to tell you. How can I pray for you? How can I walk with you and help? Or... Sister, I've I've had this thing in my heart against you. We need to talk about it because I love you too much to let that stand in the way of our being unified in Christ. It's the hard things that are made easy because of Jesus. When we remember that it's not I who live, but Christ that lives in me, it's easy to lay those things out in front of one another and say, what can we do to make this work? What can we do to walk together? And that happens in the context of community where we are truly confessional about our needs, about our hurts, and where we are open open to listening and dealing with those things with one another. That's the hard things. But when you're willing to live with people and walk through the hard things, you know what that means? People will look at you and think, that's different. And know this, the enemy will try to stop it. It doesn't mean that Sister Susie and your small group is of the enemy because you guys have a problem. It doesn't mean that you're of the enemy because you're struggling with a particular sin. But the enemy is always prowling and looking for ways to devour and destroy. That's what the Scriptures tell us. And we do not battle against flesh and blood. We battle against the principalities of the air. And it is real. And the world would tell us we're crazy for that. But it is true and it is real. It is a war like we have never known. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, II, Vietnam, you name it. We've seen drastic horrors in war. But we know nothing of the war and its severity for the souls of men. And the enemy is always at work. Look what it says for us. Look back in verse 13. We'll go to verse 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, as that grow up part, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Look, we have to own this. Your Sunday school teacher is not responsible for your maturity in Christ. But they are there to equip you to walk face to face with Jesus. We have to own our own maturity in Christ or lack thereof. And recognizing where we are is only really done in the context of community because we all have too many blind spots. Look what it says here, verse 14. We do this so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So walking in unity, walking together, focused around the gospel of Jesus will ensure we are not carried away by false doctrine. I cannot tell you as a pastor how often I have conversations and when I talk with folks that come to counsel with me or just in passing they say things that they're struggling with that resonate from, that, that, that come out of wrong understanding of Scripture. 
I myself find that the struggles in my own life often are because I'm not believing rightly about who God is according to the Scriptures or about who I'm supposed to be in light of the Scriptures. It's easy to read something and think of others than it is to look at this and have God speak to our hearts and for us to actually hear that and then to stay with it long enough to ask God to show us how to be different and how to fight that and fight the good fight of the faith. And we are often carried along by things that just feel good. I mean, all of us in this room can say that about certain televangelists we've seen and certain other churches in our community or, you know, folks that are walking down these paths. There's crazy folks. Why do they believe that thing? Why do they believe this? But brothers and sisters, let me not lead us astray. We are just as susceptible to wrong belief. None of us will have right belief until we attain the fullness of maturity in the presence of God when our sin has been wiped away. This is what will protect us. Community around the gospel will protect us from being carried away by false doctrine. Look at it again. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So it ensures we're not carried away by false doctrine, and then it also ensures we're not carried away by wolves who seek to destroy the church. That's that human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. There are moments where any one of us could become a wolf. We often think of wolves as being people outside the church. That is not the scriptural mindset of that. In fact, if you go back and read, especially, you just go back and look at where Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders, these same people he's writing to right now. He's leaving them later. It's recorded in the book of Acts. He's leaving them, and as he's leaving them, he tells them to watch out for wolves that will come up from within the flock. And the only way we can make sure that we're not led astray by those who seek to destroy the fellowship or those who are being used to bring havoc, is if we are centered around the gospel and and willing to walk face-to-face with the Lord and one another and be unified in those things. That's the only way. I, I am not above being a wolf. You are not above being a wolf. None of us are. That's why let us be slow to draw hearts of judgment and anger against others we might see as leading folks astray. And let us be careful to ask the Lord to reveal in our own hearts where we might have false doctrine, where we might not be believing, where we might make mountains out of molehills and lose sight of the unity of the faith that is so drastically needed for us to be the church we're intended to be. Again, until we, verse 13, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, so he gives a negative, now he gives the positive. Don't do this. Don't be carried along this way. Don't be a child. Grow up. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Look at that one more time. Rather, speaking the truth in love. This is what we mean when we say that we must become a confessing church. Speaking the truth. That word, those words, the truth, is talking about the gospel again. 
speaking the truth. You can speak just truth, all lowercase letters. The truth, like two plus two is four. And yes, if you're a math major, don't come argue with me later that it's not always four. Okay. The truth that gravity is a truth. I'm not talking about that kind of truth. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the truth of the capital T, which is the Word of God truth, the Gospel, the good news about Jesus. And that particular truth, speaking the truth in love, means talking to one another about Jesus and the implications of what He's done and who He is for us in, in a way that we love one another, which means saying hard things, saying loving things, caring for one another, being there for one another, speaking the truth in love. So rather than being a child, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Listen, we are the church, Right? But this is not our church to do with it as we please. We are the church, but Jesus is the head of this body. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. That word head is talking about ruling and authority. He's given this great illustration of a body. And the head is the one in charge. The head is the one who gives commands. The head is the one who leads the rest of the body the way it should go. We are the church, but Jesus is the head. That means Jesus rules and governs this church. Our job is not to decide what we do or even how we do it in most things. Our decision, our only decision, is whether or not we will be obedient to the head, to Jesus. That is it. Matthew 16 so we must be a confessional body, confessing Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that this is our everything. Matthew 16, 13 through 18 is the story here that Jesus makes this very clear. In fact, others have wrongly taken this to, to elevate the clergy of the church. That's not what this is about. Look at it with me or listen to it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he confessed Jesus, the Son of the living God, right? He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's been used to say that it's built on Peter. That's not what's happening. This is a really great wordplay that Jesus is giving. He says here in the Greek, I tell you, you are Petra, and on this Petros I will build my church. He's like, you're the little rock. <laughs> but on this rock, this larger rock that you just stated, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wouldn't build his church just on one man. Jesus is the man. Jesus builds his church. You go back and read Jeremiah 24. You go back and read the psalm that this quote came out of earlier. God is the one who builds his church, and God will build this church. 
It's not up to how many programs we have. It's not about the type of music we do. It's not about how great we do this or that. It's are we authentically unified around the good news and person and work of Jesus? And are we loving one another in such a way that gives glory to God and that shows love to the world that they are not used to seeing? And when we respond in that love to one another and in love for God because He first loved us, this church will grow. That's the way it works. Verse 16. Start verse 15, actually. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. From whom, so He's the head, but now from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look at that again. From whom, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That means that every one of you is essential to this thing working. Every child in this room, every grandmother in this room, every man who is a leader in this room, every woman who serves mightily in some way for the kingdom in this room, Every one of you who's not yet doing what you should do in this room, you are essential to the growth of this church and even more to the glory of God. Look at what it says again. From whom, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Peter O'Brien, a commentator, if you don't have a good commentary on Ephesians, his is really, really good. He says, Christ is not only the goal of the body's growth, we saw in verse 15, as the head who rules over the body, he is the ultimate source. That's what it says, from him, from whom the whole body. For he supplies all that is necessary for its well-being, including its unity, nourishment, and progress. That's why this. We don't need to worry about what we need to do to make this church grow. We need to worry about loving God the way that He's first loved us. We need to worry about loving the people that God has sent His Son to die for the way that He has loved them. Those inside the church and those not yet inside the church. If we will love one another in that way, God will build His church. We don't have to come up with the next gimmick. We don't have to come up with the next best program, the next best curriculum. We just need to do what we've been made to do to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, starting now. To love Him. Look at that verse again, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Those words, in love, were just used a few minutes ago about speaking to one another, rather speaking the truth in love. That in love is the caveat. It must be done in love. You can speak truth to people and not be very loving. I witnessed it very clearly at the SBC annual meeting as I stepped outside to get some lunch and there were people with picket signs out there that were telling everybody that they're 
going to hell and that they are not loved and they need to repent, believe the fires are coming. And that's all true. I mean, I, the, the fires are coming for you if you don't repent and believe in Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that in love is how we do it. And love might be directing them, but the way that we treat one another shows our love for one another. True? Amen? If I tell my wife that I love her, yet I don't speak kindly to her, I'm not loving her very well. If I say that I'm a Christian, yet I'm not loving the brothers and the sisters, then I'm not really being much like Jesus. We can't say that we love the faith family and, a, and, and, and not be a part of the faith family because Jesus died for the faith family. He died for the church. You can't say you love Jesus and you just love Him from a tree stand. It doesn't work that way. Because He loves the church. And if you love Him, you love what He loves. And He gave His life for the church. We've individualized it so much that we can say, Jesus loves me, and it's a great song, and it's true, but it, to the exclusion of the body, it's wrong. He loves us, the church. And I'm not here to preach to you to get you to give every minute of every day of all your time to serving within the walls or to going out for the church to do certain things. I'm here to tell you that you are the church wherever you go, but we are the church. And if you and I are not able to be unified around the doctrines of Scripture and to be on the truth about Jesus, then we will not see this church go anywhere but south. And if we do not speak the truth to one another... If we do not encourage one another and call one another out, if we do not love, do all those things in love, this faith family will cease to exist one day. But oh, if we walk in humility and gentleness in a manner worthy of the calling. Oh, if we, if we just every morning are refreshed as we step into the presence of God face to face in His Word and as we pray with Him and we're refreshed in our own walk with Him and we're challenged to see that He loves us so much. And we then look at one another and decide, I'm going to love them that way even when it's not easy. Even when I have to do hard things. Even when I have to say things I don't want to say. Even when I have to open up about things I don't want to open up about. Everybody else will see that and God will grow this church. My prayer, I ask you to pray with me today, is that we would become that church. Unified around truth of the gospel unified around the knowledge of Jesus. That means experiential, personal knowledge as well as intellectual knowledge. Today you may have to do some changes. Today you may have to make some commitments to the Lord and I'm going to offer you an opportunity to do that today. When we say it, sometimes people respond to it. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to tell you now that if God is working in your heart and He's calling you to make a change, I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone, and get on a knee before the Lord. You can do it in your seat. You can do it right here. It doesn't matter. This is not truly an altar. This is a, the front of the room. The altar is in, is in here as you lay down your life before Christ. But I'm asking you to respond, if you can, physically today and talk to Him. We're going to sing a song. Our, our, our music is going to happen. If you want to sing, you can sing. But I'm telling you, if God is working in your heart for some area of this and you need to deal with the Lord... Please respond. There's something about physically responding to Him. Whether it be in your home and you just lift your hands in praising Him. Whether it be as you get on your face on the floor, even if it takes a while to get back up for some of us. If it means getting on your knees. If it means going to your kids and repenting on your face before them. If it means 
talking to a brother or sister for how you've held resentment in your heart towards them, whatever it is, it begins by talking to the Lord first. And today I know I cannot be the only one who has areas in which to repent. So I urge you, I urge you, it says right here, Scripture, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. We are prisoners to the sin within us. We've been liberated in Christ. And I now urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let us seek unity around the gospel. Let us be face to face with Jesus to know him and then to make him known as we love one another with the gospel and as we take it everywhere we go. Let this be the beginning of a new day in our faith family and a new day for us personally. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to beckon you to respond. Father, we love you because you first loved us. But Lord, we do not very well love you all the time. We need to be made different. We need to experience your grace and mercy. We need to see that you can do miraculous things within us. And Father, we know, we know that we've seen stories and heard things about you that this can happen. Father, would you make it real in our midst even today? That men and women would turn and face you. That we would repent of our sin. We'd repent of our stubbornness. We'd repent of our pride. And we would give ourselves over to you once more. But Lord, we know your son gave himself over for us once and for all on the cross. There's no more need for sacrifice for that atonement. But Lord, today is a day where we need to renew our faith. And tomorrow is a day we need to renew our faith, renew our hope in you as we turn our eyes back to you. Let us not be like Jonah who ran from the face of God, but let us turn as Jesus, even on the precipice of the most horrible day he could ever imagine experiencing on the cross. Turn to you face to face and say, Father, not my will but yours be done. Lord, turn every answer in our heart to yes and amen. Lord, lead us to become the church you have envisioned us to be for your glory, for your son's fame, for our joy, for the salvation of the lost. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.